think TV and the broadcasters have not taken it upon themselves to be a partner in cleaning up this illegal activity. And they are continuing to support these .NET operators by allowing these ads to run. It's time that we kind of rally together and just petition to get this law changed because it's clear that if we don't ask for it, it's not going to get done. You're listening to the Gaming News Canada show with Steve McAllister, recorded live on LinkedIn Audio. Follow Steve on LinkedIn to join the live audience. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Gaming News Canada show presented by Osler, Hoskin, and Harcourt LLP. It is Thursday, June 1st, 2023, a sunny, balmy Thursday afternoon in most of Ontario. I'm your host, Steve McAllister. After giving everybody a break last week while we interviewed Richard McLaren for the Gaming News Canada show, we welcome back Amanda Brewer of Kinder Group, Chris Abbott of Botano Canada, and Nick Sulsky from PointsBet Canada is with us once again. And as usual, Mark Silver, Gavin Roth, and Mike Day from Parley Media Group are in the house. We took a mini vacation with our family for a few days at the end of last week, beginning of this week. And as a result, found ourselves in a little bit of scrambling mode yesterday, thanks to a flurry of news announcements and other happenings. Many of them focus around the ongoing discussion on sports betting advertising. So we're going we're gonna to start there. And I have a feeling we're going to... Um, spend the better part of the hour talking about this uh, this issue, which which isn't going away. I led the newsletter this morning. I uh, had a chance yesterday to uh, tr- trade emails with, with Ray Connert, the, um, the communications lead for the Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario, just looking for a timeline on, on when um, there might be some kind of announcement based on the feedback the AGCO has received from from stakeholders across the sports betting and gaming industry about advertising standards. And we did get a statement back from, from Ray f- stating that, which I, I had known, I've seen, it, I've seen it since reported in a couple of places, that there were 40 submissions to the AGCO about the proposed uh, changes. No timeline. Uh, the statement from the AGCO was essentially that uh, when they do have an announcement to make, it will be sent to the operators and uh, and posted on the AGCO website. Carl Subban, who's part of the uh, Ban Ads for Games, Gambling Group uh, continued his media tour over the past week, uh, was quoted in in a a couple of stories where you can find the newsletter. Um, Two columnists at the Globe and Mail, Andre Picard, the longtime health reporter for the Globe, and and Cahal Kelly, the sports columnist there, uh, both had columns on uh, on sports betting advertising. Jeff Zakodny of Covers and Matthew Lohman of PlayCanada.com both had stories this week on on appearance by OLG Duncan Haney on Monday in front of the Legislative Assembly of Ontario Standing Committee on Public Accounts. And uh, just uh, to grab a quote from Duncan's um, appearance there, he, he quote, Haney did say, I, I think it would be appropriate to have a better balance of advertising. And um, Mr. Abbott was also involved uh, in the debate uh, via the Twitterverse, reacting to a tweet by Adam Seaborn earlier this week, looking at the biggest spenders on TV and radio uh, last week. Uh, So, Chris, maybe I'll start with you. And I I guess the question I have for for everybody uh, on stage here is where... You know, where, where do you sit on the whole advertising issue right right now? And Chris, that's a bit of a, I guess, maybe a bit of a broad question, but I'd like to start with you on that. Uh, thanks, Steve. Yeah, I mean, uh, my Twitter account's engagement has completely gone in the toilet since Elon took over, so I'm surprised you even saw that. Um, I, I will say that uh, it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek. Uh, 
we know that there's a lot of money being spent on gaming advertising. A lot of it is centered around sports and, and highly visible uh, programming, especially this time of year, um, and especially for Canadians. So obviously, if you watch the Stanley Cup playoffs, you're seeing a, a whole lot of gaming advertising. I think my take on it is, and it has been from the beginning, is when the broadcasters came out of the pandemic, they needed money. When, at the same time, sports betting companies, like casino companies are coming in and they have money to spend, um, they're going to accept that money. All along, I feel like we need to have some guardrails around it because despite how we look at the industry and despite the fact that there is currently a, you know, a lack of um, studies and, and long-term effectiveness on, on this advertising because it's only been months, um, I think we know that it's, it's a product that can get people in trouble and everyone on this panel has recognized that before. So I do think that there is um, merit to what some of the groups are saying, but at the same time, I feel that it's become something that, uh, that groups are latching onto as well. Uh, so, so I can see both sides of the issue. I think, and I've been saying this since the beginning, it's incumbent on us, the folks that are paying for advertising. It's incumbent on the broadcasters who are accepting the money for advertising to have some guardrails around things. There should be a balance. And I don't know that we found that balance yet, but we've got a year in year plus. Um, so that should help us to find the guardrails a little bit more. Uh, Amanda, you and I, we both, uh, we exchanged emails yesterday. We had a phone conversation on this. We, we do have a quote from you uh, in the newsletter today as well. But I, I just wonder, kind of 24 hours after we spoke, if, if, you, if you have anything else you want to add to, uh, to the conversation. Well, I think every time you mention Duncan Hannay, you should also remind everyone that OLG is the biggest advertiser, gaming advertiser in the province, and for a long time was one of the only ones. So, you know, take his comments with a big lump of salt because he, he, they spend, they have a huge advertising budget that far outstrips most of the operators in the market. Um, I think like we were talking, Steve, you know, I have for a long time said, you know, it was really amazing when we expanded the access to alcohol in this province. Um, and my local Loblaws can have a huge, you know, 10 foot high, 30 foot long banner that says beer here. Um, nobody raises an eyebrow. But, you know, we start advertising legally in this province um, for a legal and regulated product and all of a sudden it's a problem. Now, the interesting thing about the problem is it's wholly directed at the sports betting side of things and specifically directed towards hockey and what's appearing in the hockey broadcasts. So to, you know, tar and feather the entire industry and all the advertising um, because of what's happening in one sport, um, I think that's a complete overreaction. So, you know, as I said, now is a really good time to be reevaluating things. It's a year, you know, the market has matured. We've got 40 odd operators in the market. Everyone's had a year to kind of see what sticks, you know, try out some stuff, see what's working, see what's not. So if the problem is relegated to hockey and the amount of different forms of advertising that's appearing in hockey, then you know, I don't know, call me crazy, maybe uh, Rogers and Bell and the GCO and the NHL should come together and come up with some solutions. Because I think the problem is, you know, if the broadcasters in the league aren't willing to come to the table and suggest some ways to deal with this, then we will see regulatory changes come um, that might not be, you know, 
the preferred solution for a whole bunch of people. But, you know, I think, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, the AGCO at this point feels they may have to have a stronger reaction than what they were anticipating because of the sheer volume of media attention and quite frankly, uh, kind of misinformed media attention that has been given to this issue. Hey, Nick, I want to, I do want to get back to the hockey, uh, the hockey discussion in a second here, but I, I want to get your general thoughts before we, we dive into that. Yeah, sure. Steve, um, general thoughts. This is a, I mean, like every other aspect of this industry, you know, we're a year in, we're still learning and, and growing and evolving. The thing that, the thing that strikes me and the thing that I guess there's two big things. Um, the first is I think it's really important throughout this process to really think about the motivations behind what people are saying and why they're saying it. Um, you know, as an example, and Amanda brought up, uh, you know, the OLG, well, ultimately the OLG, um, it would be very happy, I think, with strict regulations that would allow them to um, diffuse the new competition that they now have to face in this market. Um, there are a lot of other voices from operators in the space who candidly may not have the same type of marketing budgets that other operators have. So in that instance, some of the language that I've seen other operators use uh, coming out in favor of some of the stricter regulations also <laughs> need to be considered because ultimately, if you don't have the money to spend in mainstream conventional media, well, obviously it would behoove you to see your competitors lose that advantage on you. Um, and then the second thing that really strikes me, and this is what frustrates me to no end, and I think most of you, um, at least on stage, and, and probably most of you on the call, um, were at the CGA one-year anniversary event. And yeah, it was a great event, and it was a very much everyone you know, patting themselves on the back and really trumpeting responsible gambling and consumer protections, which we all agree are incredibly important. But here we are having a conversation about gambling advertising, and I have not seen one person in the media comment on the fact that .NET black market advertising is still permissible. I can go to any social media platform right now. I can turn on the television and see the black market operator that won't get advertised on this podcast marketing their .NET platform. That is hypocritical bullshit. And this is the thing that frustrates me, as you all know, more than anything else is, you know, it, it, in a category that is not new, let's face it, sports gambling has existed in this province for decades. Yes, in the gray space, but we had tons of .NET free-to-play, both casino and sports betting advertising before April 4th of last year. Um, I think it's silly to, I think people are missing the point. This is not just about um, the prominence of these new regulated gambling advertising or advertisements that are being pushed. I think that if we're going to look at this category, we have to really look at it. 
it's not just one thing. It, it, we need to take a holistic view of it. Yeah, and I would say, Nick, I think we've been pretty uh, diligent in both the newsletter and on this forum. You know, thanks to people like yourself and, and Amanda and Chris and others about uh, the dot net ads and, and taking a pretty strong stance against that. And, you know, mentioned mentioned Bodog, I think, on, on, on both both forms here. And, Amanda, I think you and I talked a little bit about this yesterday and, and you know, does Nick make a good point that maybe, you know, the, the advertising, uh, while it's a concern that the regulated operators would, would like the AGCO to take a stronger stance and, and maybe this is where I think TV comes in as well and, and take a stronger stance against these .NET operators. Well, to just pick up on what Nick was saying, I was in the audience on April 4th and I saw Catherine McLeod with the representatives from Bell and Rogers get up on stage and tell all the licensed and regulated operators in the audience that it was okay because the .NET advertising was really just a small percentage now. And when the broadcasters were asked directly why they're still allowing Bodog.net ads to run, it's, you know, something about some, I don't know, like, you know, small town hockey team somewhere in the Western provinces that has a sponsorship with that operator and uh, you know, for whatever reason, Bell and Rogers feel compelled to honor the the broadcast rights that come along with that sponsorship, which is just ludicrous. We have a licensed and regulated market in this province. So Nick's timing is pretty good because what Steve and I talked about yesterday is I think it's time for all the licensed operators to come together and petition the government to update our, our provincial laws to ban .NET advertising. And I think because we have had a year and think TV and, you know, the broadcasters have not done this, they've not taken it upon themselves to be a partner in cleaning up this illegal activity. And they are continuing to support these operators by allowing these ads to run. And because we know that there are letters flying around from the lottery coalitions to operators making erroneous claims about what we're doing in other provinces when in fact the only people who are advertising in those provinces are the illegal .NET operators and we're being lumped into the same category as them. So I I, I am as frustrated as, as Nick is about this, but I do think it's time that we kind of rally together and just petition to get this law changed because it's clear that if we don't ask for it, it's not going to get done. And you know, I, I know the advertising industry was decimated during COVID, but I, I keep saying it's not this industry's job to prop up the advertising industry in Ontario. So, you know, it's time that we close this loophole because it's definitely a loophole that still exists. And if we're looking at, you know, trying to make sure we don't have problem gamblers or vulnerable people getting exposed to gambling, well, why are we still allowing these ads to run? Uh, Chris? Yeah, I mean, uh, to piggyback on on what Amanda just just said is, it's not the the operator's job to prop up um, the advertisers and uh, or the the broadcasters. And I think I think that is going to hold true as we go forward here. I think um, we've all seen uh, probably in this chat the the amount of money that's being requested for some rights and some some uh, broadcast insertions. And at some point, the operators are just going to say, you know what, no, thank you. Um, you know, the, the golden goose is going to dry up here because it doesn't make sense, uh, the amount of money that's being proposed to spend on some of these. So on top of maybe some, some regulatory changes that we're going to see, I think you're just going to see a general pulling back of the reins of some of the TV, uh, advertising as well. But on the .NET thing, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it, uh, the AGCO and, and iGaming made clear that they were going to go after, 
um, .NET operators and and let alone their operations, but to still see advertising, um, you know, it's it, it's disappointing and it makes you wonder, um, you know, if it's a, another situation of going after low hanging fruit and and maybe bending to to some public perception. Um, but again, it goes back to what we we've discussed before: is the you know the database decision making, and uh, that still remains to be seen as well. Uh, I want to get Mark Silver in here. I think this has to go a little higher. The broadcasters have created Think TV. I'm not sure what official mandate Think TV has. It's definitely not a regulatory body. It's more like a blessing to put a commercial on TV. And I know they've rejected commercials and had advertisers and operators change them. But this is really in the domain of the CRTC, which protects the entire country. So you know, I'm curious, why is this not at the national federal level? Why are we still limiting this to the province to kind of oversee? And how much longer will this continue? Uh, I'll maybe give that one to Amanda. Given Amanda, you you've dealt with different levels of government in your previous role with the, with the Canadian Gaming Association. I, I do wonder if if uh, the federal government has a, a lot of a lot on their plate these days, and this this is just one of those the topics or issues that isn't isn't going to make it to the to the top of the list. Yeah, thanks for passing that buck over here, uh, Steve. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm I'm not well versed on whether or not um, gaming related .NET ads uh, would fall under the purview of the CRTC um, because the federal government has transferred the powers to conduct and manage and regulate gaming to the individual provinces. So you raise a really good point mark maybe it is you know to knock on the door of the crtc and say can we have a conversation with you about this um but you know i also wanted to pick up on something that chris was saying about the sponsorship price tags because i can't imagine being an operator that is is forking over a lot of money for sponsorships and you're giving it to a you know an entity that is also supporting your net competition so i think you know I, I would assume that there are going to be some pretty, you know, stern conversations happening upon renewals of certain contracts, you know, between some operators and some of the broadcasters on that point. A word from our sponsor. The Gaming News Canada show is presented by Osler, Hoskin and Harcourt, LLP. Osler's gaming practice has the insight needed to help clients navigate the complex and evolving landscape of the gaming industry. Osler's position as a trusted advisor in the gaming industry has been built over years of service to operators, suppliers, and gaming authorities. Visit osler.com slash gaming for more information. That's O-S-L-E-R dot com forward slash gaming. Now back to the show. I'd really like to get Gavin, Gavin Roth in here because Gavin, we... You know, we know when this market, uh, when this open market launched uh, 14 months ago, that obviously there was a rush of new brands coming in and, and uh, trying to acquire customers in a new regulated environment quickly. I, I just wonder, with your experience in, in partnerships and sponsorships and, and doing media deals and that, you know, is there a point when when you risk turning off customers because there is so much advertising and, and you're seeing the brand so much that, that you risk actually lo- losing customers or, n- or not being able to acquire them? Yeah, um, yeah, there is. There's the, the law of diminishing returns certainly applies. And there, there's a term in the media industry that's popped up in, you know, last 10, 15 years about effective reach that if you go too far, it starts becoming ineffective and working against you. And a classic example of that was 
um, when you see the 17 days of Olympic coverage and you get some brands uh, peppering you with the same creative, the smart brands are the ones that came up with a really diverse mix of creatives so that one individual ad doesn't wear thin, make it more of a campaign. So the, the operators, um, I think diversity of messaging has for the most part to my eyes been there. Um, I just think, uh, and, 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 uh, but yes, it's a very real issue that you can start alienating viewers if you just hit them over the head too hard. So I think, I think these are smart marketers who understand that. Um, I don't think that's, I think it's just the sheer weight of it that is the issue uh, because everybody's out there marketing with multiple pieces of creative. And I think, you know, the one thing that stands out to me is if we weren't talking about this in hockey, which is religion in this country, I think you'd have less of a debate. It's similar to, you know, you go over to England or the UK and you start peppering um, football with it, soccer, football, you're going to get the passion is just out of control. You get that with hockey in this country. So that's at play here as well. But I've said for a while, last thing I'll say is, is we're suffering from recency bias here. It's going to fade out. Chris alluded to this. There, there's been an arms race for the, for the first year and a bit. You're already seeing it peter out a bit. And I think in, in another year, I don't think you're going to have the same level. Uh, maybe you'll have integration in the broadcast, and that's still not going to be good for, for some, but I think the advertising will start shifting to more digital um, and social uh, strategies. Well, and, 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 Steve, and Steve, if you don't mind, I suppose, just, just to add one thing, and something that we, we I'm not sure if, if anyone's mentioned yet, I mean, we are still also living and operating and enjoying sports in a jurisdiction that I think has some of the strictest marketing regulations on the planet, right? No operator, as we all know, is allowed to use inducements and the language is extraordinarily conservative around how we are all allowed to um, engage with the, with the consumers, both in, in conventional television and digitally online and on the social platforms, like it's very, very um, strict. So, you know, while there's been a lot of recent, I completely agree with Gavin around the recency bias, there's been a lot of recent buzz around this topic. I don't think any of these people actually have also given, um, you know, given the fair shake to the AGCO by way of the, the regulations they did install, which um, I think have been uh, at the most part um, successful in trying to create that, not only the level playing field for the operators, but um, a level of, of not being inundated by kind of free to do whatever offers on television. Amanda, just off next point about uh, about the good things that have been done in this marketplace. And again, if, when you go to conferences as, as we have over the past uh, the past year, whether it's in the the U.S. or or over overseas, uh, the Ontario model is uh, gets rave reviews. And I, I guess you know how frustrating is it that that uh, there's been so much fixation on sports betting ads and 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 not looking at the other the other the other elements of this market. You know, no one no one expected this market to launch perfectly. 
Um, but it did launch responsibly. And, you know, Nick and Chris and a lot of us have been saying since day one that, you know, our goal is to create a responsible and sustainable market here. Um, I think, you know, there are always going to be people who won't like something. And it's funny because, you know, we were talking yesterday, Steve, and some of the gentlemen that are participating in, you know, <laughs> Carl Subin's new job, you know, doing doing media about, you know, the issues that he is experiencing with the hockey overload of hockey of a sports betting ads during hockey. They're the same guys who popped up 10 years ago in the no casino Toronto campaign to persuade, you know, the citizens of this fine city and the municipal government not to put a tiny, tiny casino in downtown Toronto because we were going to corrupt the minds of small children and turn all the youth of the province into underage degenerate gamblers. And it's the same arguments a decade later that are still being used. And the media stories that have come out about what the AGCO is trying to do with this consultation have been horribly written. It's like research doesn't matter anymore. Salacious headlines are the only thing that matters. And, you know, we're going to just let people believe that an eight-year-old is somehow managing to open an online gaming account past the KYC and, you know, start gambling in this province, you know, or Jamie Strachan who thinks you need to be 18 to open an account here. Nope that's wrong too. You need to be 19, you know? So it seems like it doesn't matter how many, you know, safeguards, what the regulations say, how many, you know, restrictions were put in place. Um, no one's bothered to go and look at them because, you know, all that matters is that there's, there's too much advertising during hockey broadcasts. So as you know, I really liked what Paul said in your, your article about, you know, there's a lot of emotion being attached to that and I can really appreciate it, but it's a shared responsibility amongst the broadcasters, the leagues, the players, their agents, the operators. It's not just the industry here. So until we can all collectively come together and try and identify a solution, um, and we all have to be willing to try to come together and find a solution. Because again, the goal of this is to build a sustainable, responsible industry in this province. Then I think we're going to still have to sit here and be exposed to all this really strange reporting that's happening and you're going to see people like Carl popping up to, to start trying to push back against things. Cause you know, his, the own, the, the league that his sons play for aren't even coming to the table to try to help. Anyway, yeah. I'll get off my soapbox now. No, and I like that. That takes us back to, to the hockey broadcast. And as Gavin mentions, I think that's where a lot of the, uh, a lot of the fear is, is directed, but uh, again, as someone mentioned to me yesterday when I was doing a little bit of reporting for the newsletter, is um, he was t talking to someone who was here visiting from the UK over the past week, and this person had watched uh, a Stanley Cup playoff broadcast on, on Sportsnet or the CBC, and uh, he just was blown away by the amount of, uh, of sports betting branding on the broadcast. And he, he said it reminded him of the old the old days of the, the Premier League when I, I guess, you know, kind of betting sponsorship and advertising ran rampant as well. And um, Chris, I'll maybe start with you, with you here, but it just, again, I, I, I must admit, I, I watch a lot more hockey than I do uh, the NBA and, and Major League Baseball, but the, the little bit that I have watched of the NBA playoffs and the Blue Jays in the early part of the season, there, there doesn't seem to be n nearly even close the volume of, of – um, 
sports betting branding around M- an NBA broadcast in Canada or, or a major league, a Blue Jays broadcast on sports net that, that we've seen in hockey? No, and there's, there's reason for that. So in order to buy TV time on an NBA broadcast, you have to be an authorized gaming partner of the league. So that, that uh, eliminates some. Um, at least that's my understanding that, that that's a mandatory requirement. Um, when it comes to baseball, um, bet three, six, five has bought all the blue Jays TV assets and the score has all the in stadium assets. So, um, it has, I don't, there's still a lot around a baseball game, but it's from, it's from, you know, generally one advertiser, um, that I've noticed, but, um, look, the NHL is significantly smaller than those leagues. Um, and they also have to make money. And I have friends in the NHL sponsorship office. They have to, you know, they have to hit budgets as well. And and right now our industry is a great category for them. So um, certainly don't begrudge them, but it does lead to a lot of different brands around the broadcast. And, you know, in negotiations that we've had, we'd say, you know, are you guys going to cap this? Are you going to cap the number of advertisers? Because it's, you know, it's getting up there. And, and the response we've gotten back from, both the broadcaster and the league was not right now. So um, conversely, the NFL has has times uh, allocated to the category, and that's it. It's a cutoff. So um, back to what Amanda said earlier, it is a little bit on uh, not so much on the operators who are going to buy what's out there if there's inventory and, and there's this arms race, but on the inventory that's available and maybe those who are selling it um, have to be brought to the table as well. So I think that brings us back to that conversation. And that Coinsbet has a, a partnership with Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment, and again, but your your company is one of the uh, one of the operators that that has uh, that, that there's brand awareness around a, a Leaf playoff game. But you're also in there with uh, I think I I did another one of my kind of unscientific audits uh, during the Leaf Panthers series, and I think there were eight or nine eight or nine operators who had exposure during uh, during a broadcast either. Uh, through uh, through the broadcaster, through commercials, through uh, uh, in venue awareness at Scotiabank Arena, and also with the digital board ads as well. Like how um, you know, like where's PointsBet stand on, on you know being part of a pretty pretty busy busy experience for for one sector? Well, I, I mean, I think we've been pretty you know we've been pretty consistent from day one. Um, you know, around uh, trying to establish our brand, uh, build awareness and consideration with the Ontario sports fan um, via partnerships, trying to create really deep, long-term relationships and, uh, you know, and, and hopefully loyalty with the fans of, of, of teams. Um, and, you know, candidly, we haven't really um, invested a lot of, um, time and money uh, behind kind of conventional television ad campaigns. We, we, we have absolutely produced a couple of commercials that we love and we've run them from time to time, but it is quite cost prohibitive um, for, for most operators to lean into both a partnership strategy and um, kind of your, your conventional media kind of bombardment strategy that a lot of folks are, are familiar with. Um, so I think the other part of this discussion that, um, is, is more complicated is kind of 
refining and defining what specific types of advertising is going to get kind of rolled up in whatever comes next. Because you, to your point, Steve, yeah, there may have been nine or 10 different brands that were featured during a Maple Leaf playoff game. Ultimately, we had zero television commercials, but our brand was there because of the digital boards and, and right. the bombs that we, that we participated in. Now, you know, there are, there are many different ways brands um, are able to get their identity in front of sports fans. So, you know, I think it really, um, I, I think, it, and, and, and candidly, the other reason why we were very excited about leaning into the partnership world is because those assets are finite. Anybody with X amount of dollars and a television commercial that um, you know prescribes to Think TV's regulations uh, and AGCOs, obviously, um, are able to go and buy TV space on Dell and Rogers. Um, you know, and, and, and Chris, I. I think in Canada, the only league we're not allowed to buy advertising on if we're not league, a league partner is NFL. I, I'm not sure if, that, if it's the case with NBA, but I might be wrong. Um, but definitely with NFL. But ultimately, not every operator is able to um, have their brand position both in the in-venue and to the broadcast visible audience or broadcast visible assets of sports fans during the live play. So... That's we, we, we wanted to play in more of those finite worlds versus competing whole hog in the realm of just kind of, you know, spray and, pl- spray and pray of conventional media. I hope that makes sense. Yeah. If I could, Steve um, and Yannick, I'm not entirely sure. It may have been one of the broadcasters that um, brought that up with us. But regardless, um, to your point about the assets, um, so Botano and Kaizen Gaming, their strategy in, in other jurisdictions has been to come in and buy these assets. And one of the things that has been a challenge for us is, is entering the market late. And uh, and Nick and company and, and a few other <laughs> a few other brands had had all those highly visible assets bought up. Um, so so I think yeah. We've been, for, for, from our perspective, left to try and pick it up on TV and out of home and, and things like that. But I completely agree that the, the way forward uh, and the best way to build your brand is to be, is to be tied in with those, those finite assets, as you uh, so aptly put it. A word from our sponsor. GBG are global leaders in digital identity, fraud prevention, and compliance solutions that help operators to increase player acquisition rates, reduce fraud, and stay on the right side of market regulations. In fact, 60% of gaming brands who hold a license in the province of Ontario are already working with GBG. GBG is excited to see where iGaming in Canada goes next, and it partnered with Gaming News Canada for a special online event featuring experts from across the industry, including Kindred's Canadian Country Manager Amanda Brewer, PointsBet Canada CEO Scott Vanderwall, and GBG's very own Director of Gaming, Rebecca Jackson. Visit gbgplc.com for more information on GBG services. Now back to the show. Gavin Roth, uh, one of the elements of the the national piece by Jamie Strachan last night was, you know, um, him watching a game and and not seeing any advertising that really zeroed in on responsible gambling. And um, I've been pretty pretty transparent uh, here and and also in the newsletter about 
um, you know, the calling for more responsible gambling messaging, especially with endorsement deals involving current athletes. Do, do you think maybe the industry's made a bit of a mistake by not leaning into that RG message a little bit more? Um, yeah, I don't know. You know, I might categorize it as I just think it is, it's necessary. I'm starting, I've started to see, I don't know what the rest of the panel feels, but I've certainly started to see um, some of the operators use that vast pool of creative to weave in some, uh, not just, you know, putting disclaimers at the bottom in fine print, but dedicated ads, 30 seconds of messaging, 15 seconds of messaging to RG. And I applaud that. And um, I think that's important. And I think it would go a long way if they use their ambassadors to put out messaging around that. And maybe I'm just not privy to some of the social media content that is being put out, but I just haven't seen the, the you know, the Mitch Marners of the world and thinking in this market, uh, the athletes, I guess, who have a lot of time on their hands, Mitch and, and Austin and team, but, uh, you know, putting out responsible gaming messages. So um, it's certainly needed. Um, I think it will be applauded, uh, but I am frankly, Steve, seeing uh, more of it pop up now than I did certainly in the first six months of of the of the market yeah chris yeah no it's it's absolutely crucial um the other thing is it's mandated by the license that we all have have acquired as well that we spend uh a yet to be determined amount we're actually in uh discussions with iGaming ontario about those uh amounts and how they are applied right now but um i i honestly and we've talked about this before i truly believe that all of the operators um, that are here operating in, in the regulated market certainly believe in the in the importance of responsible gaming messaging. Uh, I believe Amanda says it like we no, none of us want to make <laughs> any money off of a, somebody with a gambling problem. Most of us know somebody who has or is or in the past had struggled with uh, any addiction, and you never ever want to be on the on the wrong side of that. So I think it's uh, imperative, but I also think that. Uh, the operators fully believe in it, and uh, you will see it start to permeate. I think, you know, early on, again, where whatever it is, 13, 14 months in, of course, there's brand recognition, and we you have to learn who brands are and all of these things. But then you get we get into your second and third waves of messaging. Um, that's got to be chief among them. Yeah, well, we'll let Mark hop in here too. But I also want to get to Amanda. Nick, go ahead, Mark. I think the operators are incredibly innovative. We've had the pleasure in our ventures uh, to deal with pretty much everyone on different levels. And there's no shortage of ideas and creative ways to go to market, especially with operators who are very familiar with you know, not just the U.S., but markets around the world. I think the issue is the media landscape is not great. And there is a lack of imagination. There is a lack of risk-taking, not just by the private broadcaster, by the public broadcaster as well. And there's a lot of stress on the entire model. And I think that's what's driving the lack of innovation that we're seeing on television and extending some of these campaigns off of television, because in this market, it seems like, and some of you have already mentioned it, you know, just on the forum today, it seems like television is the be all end all. And I'm happy for any of you to tell me I'm wrong, but I'm looking for an opinion on our landscape here in Canada and how it's just not that great, our media business. Yeah, Gavin? Yeah, listen, it's a, we're not as fragmented as it is in the U.S., right? We have fewer options uh, here. That's why it's easy uh, to get inundated. Uh, we have two big sports networks, so it, it just amplifies everything. Um, 
I think innovation will come in time, but I get Mark's point. He's certainly been consistent on it. Um, but I think part of the problem is, yeah, we have just limited options at our disposal. Yeah, Nick? Yeah, no, I mean, Gavin, Gavin nailed it. I mean, in Canada, there are effectively two live event sports broadcasters. And the advertising that, that we're all talking about is the advertising related to live sporting events. We're also, you know, this is both of our two major, and you can, I guess, CBC to a certain degree can be included in that as well. But effectively, as we all know, they're, um, you know, they're they're utilizing the the broadcast feeds from, um, you know, from from one of the other two broadcasters, right. typically. Uh, but ultimately, because of the finite, and I keep using that word. Uh, I guess that's the drinking game for me this episode. <laughs> um, um, you know, because there's a finite amount of competition um, around the advertising dollar, you know, the, the broadcasters, they, they're the ones, they're, they are really in control right now um, around how much and how often. And as I forget who it was that spoke at the beginning of, 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 the, of the episode, but, you know, we are, we're still coming off of um, a period of time that um, had a negative impact on the bottom line of a lot of these broadcasters, especially in the realm of sports. So um, I, I, I personally think we're, we're past it now, um, but they're also staring at a potential bull market coming down the road. And, you know, for lack of a better phrase, I think they're going to squeeze the lemon as long as they can. You know, am I in support of it? No, not particularly, especially. And the other thing that we haven't spoken about you know, one of our two major sports broadcast media companies has an exclusive relationship with one operator. So not only does that limit um, the amount of potential integration elements within the live sports ecosystem that one of the two major sports media broadcasters in this country has to offer operators, um, it is a challenge to try and break through, right, uh, on, on at least one. And on the other, and on Rogers, there's a slew of different brands integrated across many different things. And, um, you know, and, and obviously hockey playoffs, which lived there, it, it forced operators to buy more television inventory. So I think you're, you know, I think it's, it's, it's just very complicated. And then back to the responsible gambling piece, it's, I, it's vital. It's important. I think to Mark's point, it's not just about television there. I think operators need to think more creatively about getting the responsible gambling message out there because to get that message out on conventional media, it's expensive. And when there isn't unlimited resources or capital to put behind marketing messages that you also have to balance with, with responsible gaming messages, it becomes tricky. So I think to Mark's point, operators need to be smarter, need to be innovative, need to be more creative around how do we get the right responsible gambling messages to the audience? Because we all, as Chris said, and, 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 and you know, as we've talked about, we all want to see, or maybe it was Amanda, but we all want to see this industry evolve in as healthy a manner as possible. Or as possible. And RG is vital to that. Amanda, I'll give you the last word on the on this subject. 
Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, if you read Cathal's piece, he was fairly dismissive of the RG ads that the broadcasters are running on behalf of the operators. Um, so I think with the uh, consultation period that's about to close on the centralized self-exclusion program, so IGO had mentioned it was in the standards when we first launched the market that this program would be coming. So IGO uh, is asking operators um, how they would rather their sort of campaign or their you know investment in RG materials or marketing be run. So either every operator does their own thing or the operators pool the allocated percentage of their GDR together and it can be, you know, kind of a pooled approach. And I would be surprised if any operator puts their hand up and says they want to do it on their own. So the good news could be also that there will be a more um, unified RG program or some research, which we are desperately in need of, some Ontario-focused research, um, or I don't know what IGO is going to do, but the operators will all be supporting that, and whatever IGO decides to do with it can at least benefit, you know, all the customers, all the players in this province, the industry as a whole, the province as a whole. So there will be a lot more to talk about when more is known about that, but, you know, seeing as, you know, a year in now, we're making some different decisions based on the information that we have. Um, so I think that will be um, a good additional layer to the safety net that we're trying to build here. Yeah, and I think I'll, I'll just mention too, I mean, this this conversation will undoubtedly continue among many people in the industry when when uh, we get together in Toronto in a couple of weeks for the for the Canadian Gaming Summit. So for anyone in the audience who, uh, who isn't familiar with the summit, it's June 13th to 15th at the Metro Toronto Convention Center. Um, I just started booking uh, the panels I want to attend on my, my Google calendar uh, this afternoon before we started the show. And uh, there's just a lot of great discussions and, and uh, one that I'm excited about because I'm moderating it is with uh, Jared Bieber from Bet99, Connor Murray from FanDuel, and uh, Chris uh, as well, uh, talking about that integration of, of uh, sports media and, and sports betting. But that's, that's just one of the, the many terrific panels that people are going to have a chance to, to, to listen to and learn from over, uh, over the three days of the, uh, of the summit. Um, that, that, that's a great discussion. Thanks for everybody. Hey, Steve, Steve yeah. you, know, you, you know that, that the moderator doesn't get paid by attendance size, right? Uh, like yeah, that, that's, just, that's a relief. Sure. That's a relief, Gavin. That's a, that's a that's a relief based on uh, on on who the moderator is for that panel. So that, I'm glad to hear. Yeah, I'm glad to the hear shameless, that. the shameless plug, you know. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Hey, I want to switch gears? I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds here because uh, we're actually hosting Gaming News Canada. We're hosting a webinar next week with uh, with the sponsors of the newsletter G GBG out of the UK on uh, on the what's next for iGaming regulation across the rest of Canada. Amanda's going to be part of that panel. Rebecca Jackson from uh, from GBG. Uh, Jack Tadman from uh, uh, GME Law and also Scotty Vanderwell from from PointsBet Canada. So really looking forward to that webinar. But I do want to talk about uh, because we missed it last week when we we took the week off from uh, from LinkedIn Audio with the panel, and that's the announcement last week that uh, the Quebec Online Gaming Coalition has been established and and to uh, to push for uh, push for a regulated industry in in Quebec. And we wrote about it in last week's newsletter and. Uh, 
Amanda, I'll maybe just start with you. And and again, it's 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 funny when we go to these conferences, you, you hear people uh, talk about regulation coming to other provinces fairly quickly, and then talk to people who've been around the Canadian landscape for a while, and they, they kind of tell you to put put the brakes on on there. But can you maybe just talk a little bit? I, I know Kinder Group's not part of the part of the coalition, but talk a little bit about the coalition and and what its mandate is. So, uh, <laughs> well, I think the important thing to know is they've got a very quick no from both Law de Quebec and the Minister of Finance in the province. Uh, it's, it's a group of operators um, and those who are stakeholders in this industry who have basically come together to try to convince the Minister of Finance, that's where Law de Quebec reports up through in Quebec, um, there's no independent regulator like the AGCO here in Ontario, um, to follow in Ontario's footsteps, not by necessarily adopting Ontario's model, but creating a licensed and regulated industry in Quebec. Um, when it comes to the rest of Canada, in terms of opening up other provinces, there are only three other provinces that most operators would be interested in, Quebec, Alberta, and BC. Um, so, you know, it makes sense that there are some feelers being put out in those other provinces just to see, you know, test the waters, test the temperature and see what's going on. Um, Quebec would be, in my opinion, a bit of a long shot. But as I've also said before, I think Ontario's success is very hard to ignore. And the hope is at some point in time, there will be an attorney general or a finance minister who will decide that, you know, enough's enough. And, you know, Ontario has been at this for a year. The sky has not fallen down. And now's the time for them to jump in as well. So, you know, time will tell if they're able to move the needle in Quebec. But essentially, it's it's a, it's a lobbying effort to try and see if Quebec would have any interest in creating its own regulated model. Hey, Chris, how many uh, emails and phone calls are you getting from your bosses over in Greece at Kays and Gaming about about regulation extending beyond Ontario's boundaries? I think um, most operators are quite interested in in the rest of Canada as well. Um, uh, you know, Ontario is the most populous province and arguably, I don't even know if it's arguably, I don't have the stats, I would presume probably the most uh, money. Um, but yeah, it's it's certainly something that's on the radar. And when this news broke last week, uh, you know, the same day we were having a conversation uh, about how closely we're going to watch it. If, you know, uh, there's a lot of heavy hitters involved, uh, what might happen here? And they were asking me, you know, just kind of my, my take on everything. Um, you know, I think the, it'd be interesting to see about the any public pressure that, that comes on the government in Quebec. Um, from what I can tell, the argument is, uh, no, we're fine. We like things just the way we are. Um, we're making all this revenue at, at Lado Quebec. And uh, and we all know that there's, there's a whole lot more to be made if you open up your marketplace um, and whatever tax regime and, and uh, annual fee you decide to to charge these operators let alone um you know the jobs that get created and um money going through uh the banks and and all that so i uh, i'll be curious to see uh you know we know that a lot of the provincial lottery corporations have a, a that protectionist view and they want to they want to keep it all in-house but um it's no secret that there's a lot of money going to the gray market or offshore or, or whatever you want to refer to it as um but as Amanda said, it's very political because, uh, you know, 
you never know who's involved in 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 which aspect uh, and whose friends are involved in which aspect. So um, I think it will ultimately come down to a um, public pressure. Why are we saying no to this money? You better prove it to us that there's a reason not to take this money in the provincial coffers. Right. Nick, I know you're always looking for an excuse to get to Montreal or Quebec City. So I mean, I'm just wondering how, how much conversation you have within the points but can't offices about what, what happens next in Canada. Hey, I'm, 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 I was born in Montreal. Um, I, yep. think, I think it's really important to understand, or I think, I think it's really important to know that, you know, we, we talked about that. We talk about the gray market in Ontario prior to regulation and the goal of the regulation primarily was to repatriate those great, you know, the gray market consumers into a white regulated market. Now, Quebec is very different from the rest of Canada. Um, and that cannot be understated. Quebecers like things from Quebec. Quebecers, Quebecois French is not France French. There are many fewer gray market operators who are capable of servicing a Quebecois sports fan than your typical English-focused gray market operator that services Ontario today and services other primarily Anglophone provinces across Canada right now. So when we think about Quebec, of course, it would be great to see a regulated market or a regulated framework to send on La Belle Provence, but it's very complicated. It's not like operators would ever would be able to just flip a switch. It would not be efficient. Um, and let's face it, all of us, when we talk about the extension of a regulated iGaming framework across Canada, I don't think it'd be a big surprise for me to say that primarily most people view Quebec being at the bottom of that list from a timeline perspective. So we are 100% in favor of this coalition. But Points Bet Canada is still a fairly small challenger brand within this market. And our focus has to be on Ontario and on the other provinces that we believe are going to turn uh, white um, sooner. So I think when we talk about Quebec, I think it's really important that we do not paint the Quebecois sports and iGaming world with the same brush that we not only have painted Ontario, but that we can apply a similar color to the rest of provinces. Now, that's a very, I'm not a handy person, so I tried to throw out a little analogy that had uh, some, 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 home, some, some housework involved, and I don't know if it landed, but I think you get what I mean. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more, Nick. I think there's there is opportunity because Quebec is a unique market, but I, th I think people have to understand that uniqueness. So that's a great point. Let's leave it there. Really grateful. Chris Abbott, the Canadian country manager for Botano. Nick Solsky, the chief commercial officer of Points Bet Canada. Amanda Brewer, the Canadian country manager for Kinder Group. Mark Silver and Gavin Roth, both from Parley Media Group. Uh, Really grateful for, for all of you for hanging in there for the hour and for your insight uh, and uh, analysis as, as always. Also, just uh, a heads up again that we uh, we are hosting the What's Next for iGaming Regulation in Canada webinar with our, our partners at GBG next week. That will be posted on Substack uh, next Wednesday and other uh, social media channels as, as well. 
Um, we do this thing on LinkedIn Audio every Thursday afternoon. Really grateful to Osler Hoskin and Harcourt LLP for, for sponsoring the, the podcast and, and these get-togethers. Please, everyone, enjoy the rest of your week. The weather's sensational out there, so have a great weekend, and we'll look forward to seeing everybody in a week's time. Thank you for listening to the Gaming News Canada show. Sign up for our newsletter at gamingnewscanada.ca. Follow Steve McAllister on LinkedIn to join the live audience. Message Steve if you're interested in being a sponsor or featured guest.